Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by Danielle. Her psychic said that she would be recording today, and they were right. Caroli, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, another day in paradise. It's hot. I want some rain, but we're going with the flow. You didn't get rain the other day? We got hit like crazy. No, it, it, it went right around us. I, you know, the weatherman in me said it's going to miss and it missed. Oh, well, good yeah, job, yeah. I guess. Being accurate as a weatherman. That doesn't always happen. You know, I, I wear many hats. <laughs> so what's going on uh, this week for you? It's kind of same old, same old. We're in the barn and not going anywhere, at least goat wise, until our county fair in the end of August. So the goats are just kind of doing their thing, living their life. And this is my break weekend. I don't have any goat things scheduled so I can actually be a social person and go do things and see people and I'm not a show or judging so I'm not quite sure how that's gonna go but I'm excited so pool party feel free to come over no that sounded really authentic <laughs> Hold on. Uh, feel free to come over we'd love to have Alice here Oh, well, you know, that was still a little bit of a slight, but I'll take it. You know, <laughs> John, if you have to come just to bring Alice, fine. But, yeah, we really want to see Alice. <laughs> she does love the pool. Well, yeah, no, seriously. In all seriousness, let the record state, if you guys want to come over, just let me know. We'll be around, so. I, th I think it really should be just like a surprise. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> the gate's uh, unlocked. Come on in. Well, so what am I do what am I doing this week, you ask? Oh, thank you for asking, Danielle. I will certainly tell you what I'm doing this week. Well, I was going to say I was gonna finish up my invitation to my pool and then say, Well, do you have time? Because what are you doing this week? But since you just kind of stole the words right out from me. Um, what is going on in your barn this week? That was very nice and candid of you to ask. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, wait, uh, he's typing something else he wants me to write. Hold on one second. <laughs> John, ruler of the universe? No. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, that's not coming through. Uh, okay. Well, you know, maybe next time. Um, now, we're just maintaining, kind of like you, really uh, starting to get into the beef of summer uh work at work so it's kind of busy there i i will be a slave to overtime for the next five weeks probably until the week before our county fair so after that then it'll be time to relax but the goats are just doing their thing milking and eating and being happy so we're cool with it <laughs> 
Nice. And yeah, you'll go from a slave to overtime to a slave to those goats. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the story of our lives. It's a, it's a big circle. <laughs> now, we do have a little bit of ad good news uh, to go over. Um, NG is back online. Woohoo. Uh, but But <laughs> there's a caveat there. Uh, I would suggest everybody to check your account balances in NG. Um, it seems like some are right, some are wrong. So if it is wrong, you can send an email to balance support at adgood.org. Mm. And yeah, I had a balance issue where it was showing that I had $100 um, that I owed. And it turns out with this update that a lot of times the credits are going in as um, charges. So uh, yeah, send an email, get it fixed. Mine, I sent an email yesterday early afternoon and it was fixed by this morning. So uh, yeah, go ahead and do that. Um, and that's really it for Adkin News. We're going to kind of skip over all that drama. And this week we have guests. We do. Yeah. You I'm really, uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, no, I guess I shall. Uh, we're joined by Ashley Kark of Exponential Blessings Farm, a.k.a. EB Farm, and Heidi Kroll of Stonecoat Farm Anatolians. Ashley breeds and raises her Anatolians alongside her herd of La Manchas, and Heidi has been raising Anatolian shepherds on her working farm in New Hampshire for 23 years, both focusing on true working ability, correct confirmation, and they focus in temperament as well. Welcome to the show, Ashley and Heidi. Hello, hello. hello. We're super excited to have you guys on and glad you were able to take some time out. Now, folks, uh, the little peek behind the curtain, they are currently sitting in a car because uh, where their Wi-Fi extender reaches outside, it's a little bit loud. So hopefully <laughs> they cracked a window because if you're hot, <laughs> they're hot. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and it was a good time uh, to uh, record the podcast since we aren't normally in the same state or together for that matter, but we uh, have a very exciting puppy filled day. So no, yeah. that's, that's really exciting. I uh, reached out to you, Ashley, about talking about livestock guardian dogs and you were like, Hey, uh, just so you know, my mentor, a.k.a. Uh, my Mr. Miyagi, uh, <laughs> wax on, wax off. Uh, expectations, expectations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are, we are in the same state. In fact, we are going to be seeing each other. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And, and you were like, hey, you, you want to have her on the show? And I was like, uh, yes. So yeah. here we are. She's now, way smarter than me. So. <laughs> <laughs> now. I think uh, I know who you are pretty well, Ashley. And Heidi, I, I did look into you, um, but, I want, but I want to, no background checks, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> now, but can we hear a little bit about you? We'll start with Heidi, um, with your experience with uh, your livestock guardian dogs, and then we'll move on to Ashley. Yeah, sure. So both my husband and I grew up on farms. Um, my husband... Uh, also traveled quite a bit as a kid. His father was a colonel in the army. So a lot of his childhood was spent in Turkey, where actually the Anatolian or Turkish shepherds uh, originated. 
So he had some experience with them as, as a child. They actually brought back two from Turkey uh, that worked on their farm in Massachusetts when he was growing up. So when we got together and started our own farm in 1995, we began looking for a livestock guardian dog. So it was his fond memories of those dogs that led us to the Anatolian. And uh, we got our first one in 1996. And that's where the love affair began. So, I mean, we pretty much can't farm. We're in a area that is, you know, we're on 80 acres, but we're surrounded by probably about 10,000 acres of conservation land. So, you know, it's, we couldn't farm if we didn't have livestock guardian dogs. So they're very, very important to us. Um, you know, you know, we need them to perform the job they were intended to do. And uh, we've been working on that, trying to preserve the breed since then, since 1996. So pretty long time. That's amazing. Yeah, with with all of that land surrounding you, I'm sure you guys get the black bears and the coyote and... and... Yeah. I think Bobcats like the and everything. coyote, the eastern coyote or the koi wolf, they call it. I mean, that's our biggest predator and our biggest problem. Um, we have a lot of them. They don't fear humans. They're, you know, they're all hours of the day and night. Um, and they're pretty brazen. So, uh, you know, and they, I mean, they wiped out our poultry, probably 30 geese in one night and a bunch of chickens when we first started out before we had Anatolian. So they're... You know, when they're there, we don't mind them being there as long as they stay in the conservation land. So, and that, you know, again, that's where the dogs come in. For yeah. sure. And how many dogs are there on your farm, roughly? Well, do we need <laughs> oh, that? Is that goat math or dog math? Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, okay. I wasn't, I was not sure if goat math applied to dogs too. So if well, we don't count, it's totally fine. fine. <laughs> Well, I did say I have 80 acres, right? Yes. So, <laughs> than the average person, but we run quite a few pairs and trios. You know, they work best in pairs, typically opposite sex, male and female. Um, and we utilize them in every pasture we can. So we have, we have quite a few. So, you know, it takes a lot of dogs too to run a, a pretty sound breeding program. We don't want to ever be in the position where we feel like we have to breed a dog. Um, we want to be in that position where we want to breed the dog, that we have a really good representation of the breed, a dog that works, a dog that has incredible work ethic. And, you know, if you only have one or two, I think sometimes people are forced to, you know, breed those two versus, you know, being able to choose the one that's better, I guess, you know, so it's all about, you know, having opportunities and different bloodlines and different working abilities. And um, yeah, I seem to take advantage of that. So, uh, but I do like to stick to ones that are the same color and close in name. So I can say to my <laughs> husband, oh, that one's been here. What are you talking about? That's so-and-so. Um, you know, we use those same tactics with our goats and our bucks. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, bucks. Black uh, yeah, and tan is a great color. That sounds really familiar. And speaking of somebody who is frequently, I'm sure, sneaking in animals, Ashley, do you want to introduce yourself and talk about your herd and then how you got started in Livestock Guardian Dogs? Sure. As well? I would love to talk about my buck herd. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we've been breeding La Manchas uh, since 2017, uh, but dairy goats have been a part of my life since about 2012, um, which is as long as I've known Heidi. Um, 
my best friend uh, who lives in New Hampshire, Skyla Jodwin, um, at the time she was Skyla Parent, uh, was so gracious that when we worked together um, at an Agway up here, um, I would milk her goats every day with her and I would show with her and that's sort of where my love of the La Manches was fostered. So um, pretty much as soon as we got married, my husband and I got married in uh, 2017 and moved to Maryland, I was like, that's it. I got my own house. We're getting goats. So uh, that's where the goats came in. And then as far as the dogs, um, the Anatolians, I fell in love with them, uh, really working with Agway and seeing Heidi bringing Puck, who's really the the uh, patriarch of her, you know, Anatolian project, um, bringing him in to get grain and, you know, us loading up her thousands of pounds of dog food. <laughs> uh, and they're just, they were just really cool back then. And um, we knew that uh, for us, it, you know, human predators were my biggest concern uh, at our first house when we moved to Maryland. So uh, having a dog that would protect from small predators. Um, we had a lot of fox, a lot of raccoons, um, uh, but would also protect against, because we were close to the city, uh, protect against two-legged predators as well. So Anatolians are pretty good for that. Awesome. Now, some people might not be as versed uh, with what a true LGD working dog is. I mean, sometimes I hear LGD and it's kind of, you know, for some people, it's kind of a dual purpose thing where it's a house pet that happens to be around livestock and sometimes it's those uh, hardcore animals that are ready to prey upon the predators that go bump in the dark. Uh, so what is a true livestock guardian dog, working dog? Right. So I'll answer that first. And then Ashley, yeah. you know, if she's got something to add. So for me, um, you know, I know everybody's going to have a different opinion, like you said. Um, but for me, as somebody who prides themselves on being a preservation breeder, um, you know, it's the essence of the breed is its ability to work and guard your livestock. So for me, a true working dog is a dog that lives 24 seven with its livestock in a predator rich environment and, you know, and protects those, those animals at all costs, you know, basically, um, you know, and do our dogs come in the house sometimes? Sure. Right. Um, I do do some showing, you know, it's one of part of my mission to get out there and keep a good working dog in front of the AKC judges. So I do bring my dogs off property. I do socialize them. They, you know, are good citizens in a hotel room and around, you know, in public, um, because we also focus on that really good discernment. And I think if that discernment's there, then, you know, you can have a pretty well-rounded livestock guardian dog, which is our goal, but you know, they're, you know, ability to protect the livestock is what makes them a breed. So for us, our dogs live with the livestock. And again, it leads to our, you know, our livelihood. We couldn't have our farm if we didn't have our dogs. And I think a lot of people get the dogs um, as pets and then they go and get mm -hmm. a couple of goats because the dog is, you know, not very good in the house or it has a lot of drive and work ethic and it needs a job to do and it's just not content living in the house. So, I mean, there is a difference. Um, you know, there's a lot of show breeders now that have bred a lot of that working ability out of Anatolians. So, you know, and there's always a range in temperament, I would say, 
one or two maybe in every litter could probably be a successful house dog or an indoor outdoor dog but for us you know the majority need to have a job to do and they're most happy doing that job yeah i i wholeheartedly agree with that i think um you know having a dog that has like enough power and aggression to do the job um but you know that it was specifically bred for that purpose. I mean, John, you wouldn't expect Samson to live outside with your goats twenty four seven, would you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I don't expect that out of my rough collie. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he he would probably uh, throw a fit, riot, and try to find a new home. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think too, like you know, back when we started with this breed, or the breed was you know originally brought over and became a recognized breed in the 70s. It was still so much a rare breed that, you know, a lot of those dogs needed to be on acreage and they needed to be where there was a, a large, you know, predator problem and they had to have that drive and work work ethic um, to be bred. And I think now a lot of people have softened up the temperament in the breed. They've done it with great Pyrenees. Um, so I think, you know, you may find lines out there that that may be a good house dog. I mean, I that's not some not a goal for us. I mean, we're not trying, you know, to breed dogs that are watered down or dumbed down. I mean, our our goal is to preserve the function of the breed. So in that aspect, you know, we need a dog that works. We need an Anatolian that looks and acts like an Anatolian. And by that we mean, you know, we honor the history of the breed, you know, by by preserving those traits. So for us, you know, the dogs have to work. No, that makes a lot of sense. And we kind of started talking. I mean, we joked about John's dog, Samson, who's a collie. <laughs> and we threw in Great Pyrenees, too. And obviously, that collie is not a livestock guardian dog. But I do see options there, whether it's Great Pyrenees and Anatolian, a few others. Can you kind of quickly talk about what makes each of these livestock guardian dog breeds unique and and then kind of to follow up on that, how you decide well, which breed works for you. Right. So for me, I mean, I can speak a lot about the Anatolian and the traits that they have, because that's the only breed that I've had hands-on experience with. Um, mm -hmm. I have, you know, puppy owners and friends that have tried out other breeds and we know that, you know, what's generalized about the differences, but, you know, each country has their own livestock guardian breed. And, you know, they're developed for a very specific purpose in those countries. And, you know, that's why you see you see a lot of crossbreeding. I'll touch on that a little bit um, of the Anatolian and the Great Pyrenees. And for me, it's an incredibly bad idea. Uh, you're taking, you know, uh, an Anatolian shepherd that was bred in Turkey to mainly work, you know, the flatlands that's, you know, built for speed and power and aggression. And, you know, they have wolves for predators and, you know, they're meant to bond with their shepherd too, but they're, they're just an extremely independent, aloof dog mm -hmm. that's very dominant and, you know, originally contains a lot of dog aggression and human aggression as much as you'll see, you know, breeders say, oh no, no dog here has that, or they don't have dog aggression or they don't have human aggression. And then my question is, well, then how do they, you know, perform the job they were intended to do? Because it is a breed that needs that internal strength and power and the independence to think on its own. So, you know, I don't want to be outside 24-7 watching my goats, making sure the coyotes aren't coming in and the bear and the bobcat and 
all these other predators we have. You know, I don't want to be there standing there and saying, you know, hey, Pop, Pop, look, there's a predator. Go get it. You know, he has to be able to determine what is or isn't a threat in my absence. So, you know, that's a trait that we carry on, that independent thinking. Um, they're not a biddable breed. They're, you know, they don't want to sit for treats. They don't want to entertain. They're not a generic show dog, even though there are some people trying to turn them into that. I mean, that is not original to the breed. So, you know, you take an Anatolian and an Anatolian, and then you take a Great Pyrenees and you cross the two and they have completely different work sets. Like a Great Pyrenees was bred for the mountains. So they have a different build and a different body structure and, a, you know, a different mindset and they're use you know, a barking a lot as a deterrent. They're not a dog to chase and run down things. And, you know, you're, you're crossing these two different work sets. And a lot of times you get a Jekyll Hyde personality or you don't know what you're going to get. Whereas if you stick to, you know, a purebred Anatolian, an Anatolian with an Anatolian or a Pyrenees with a Pyrenees, you have that predictability of purebred traits. You basically, when I take two dogs and I evaluate their temperament and their structure and how they work for me, and I decide to breed them together, I can almost predict what every single puppy in that litter is going to be when it arrives. Um, will there be outliers? Sure. There'll be people, there'll be puppies that fall on either end of the scale, mm -hmm. but the majority of those puppies are going to fall right in the middle. I mean, think about our current litter that we yeah. have and how consistent the, you know, they are. Yes, they have their own individual personalities and those are coming through. Uh, we'll actually be formally temperament testing them today. Um, but the, the litter itself has so much consistency because we've selected those two parents to be paired together. Um, they are the same, you know, they're the same breed. So they have similar mindset in both parents and they're carrying that on into their, their offspring, into the right. next generation. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think you see a lot of the crossbred dogs, a lot of Pyrenees, you know, in shelters. We see quite a few Anatolians in shelters now too. It's just the downside of everybody being a breeder and people, you know, not truly being a breeder at heart. You know, they're not looking at long-term for these dogs. They're not there to support the people who buy their puppies. Um, you, you know, breeder support is huge when raising one of these dogs because of their traits, you know, that that, you know, that they're dominant and independent and aloof and non-biddable and suspicious of strangers, um, suspicious of, you know, strange things that don't belong. Um, they, you know, and then the aggressive side of them. I mean, you're taking a extremely powerful dog, a dog that has greater bite force than a lion and just tossing it out there with, um, you know, no thought behind it. I mean, that can become a dangerous thing and, and it's, uh, you know, sad for, our breed sad to see a lot of that um it's a pretty good way to sum up the, the anatolians though and anatolians also when you talk about them um kangal is included in that right, as well right. as the other turkish shepherds uh turkish shepherd being sort of an all-encompassing term for i guess what would you call them the just the different yeah, body just, types even or different regions you know yeah. anatolian shepherd when they were brought here to the united states they were all tossed under the umbrella of an anatolian shepherd uh, you know, versus breaking them down by region and talking about like the Congol and, you know, the Akbash and Malakli. Yeah. And those different things. But when they're here, they're all lumped together. They're just all Anatolians. They are. So, and they're <laughs> um, basically bred, yeah. you know, all from the, for the same purpose and, and um, all from the same, you know, country. So, yeah. So uh, there's also the Pyrenees, which you talked about. And then uh, there's lesser known breeds like 
what do we have? The Caucasian Com- Shepherd. Yeah, the Commodore. Uh, Commodores, uh, which are the corded, funny-looking breed that look like they have dreadlocks. <laughs> Watch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then... I think Pyrenees, though, you know, they're pretty I mean, popular. You can find them anywhere for right. a couple hundred bucks. A lot of people use them. Um, but they're just, I mean, I guess they are they would do better in a small predator environment. I know I have a couple friends who yeah. uh, still seriously breed them for original traits and things like that. And those Pyrenees do well against yeah. more of the apex predators. Um, but a one lot of one them, person that comes to mind is uh, Peter, yeah. who uh, is the Guardians of the Hive. Yeah. And is he in Connecticut or Massachusetts? Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, and he still breeds uh, some pretty serious uh, working uh, Pyrenees right. um, that are just phenomenal and still very true to, right. you know, the, the breed's original intent. But I think Pyrenees in general are softer. They bark more. Yeah. Less tendency to be stranger aggressive. So if you have a high traffic uh, farm and you do have more visitation from strangers things like that. Um, we recently had a, a potential buyer for this last litter of puppies um, that when we really got to talking to her, uh, she has a high traffic farm and, you know, she has a lot of visitor, stranger visitation. Um, and so it really became apparent to us that the Anatolian wasn't necessarily the right breed for her uh, and that she would be better suited for a Pyrenees. And she did end up going and purchasing a Pyrenees. Um, that are just take better to a lot of socialization, um, you know, less tendency to be aggressive, uh, towards two-legged predators. Um, they are known to wander more though. Yeah. And they do have a tendency to wander. Um, so fencing is really important if you want to contain them. That's a great Um, Pyrenees. yeah. Yeah. The great Pyrenees. Whereas the Anatolians naturally want to be, uh, pretty close to their stock. So, and then the other breeds, um, there's Maremma. Uh, and Maremma, I find pretty similar to um, Pyrenees. Maybe a little bit less coat maintenance. They have a slightly shorter coat with slightly less tendency to be extra fluffy, I would call them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another thing. How much grooming do you want to do? Because uh, our Anatolians are just a wash and go kind of breed. Whereas, um, you know, I see uh, on my f- Facebook news feed, Oh, a hundred times a day, friends having their, you know, Pyrenees out with their stock and they're just covered in mats. And, um, I mean, both of, you know, you have, you have breeds that require regular grooming. Um, you know, uh, your Portuguese water dog, Danielle, uh, and then a rough collie, John. So you got to groom your dogs and the same goes for, you know, your working dogs. Yes, they're outside. They're not laying in your bed and you know and on your couch and stuff but it's just as important to keep them comfortable when they're working um all the time and you know working hard for you and your your stock so how much maintenance you want to do uh as well might play a role but for sure pretty much sums it up so you find a breed that best suits your farm and then uh you have to find a reputable breeder and how do you how do you find those reputable reputable breeders and do the puppies need to come from a breeder that has goats on their farm yes yes and yes so i think um geez you know for a reputable breeder i mean i think everybody instead of folk i mean generally you want to look for the breed of dog that you may like whether it's in appearance or you know a list of predictable traits that breed has but i think most importantly 
you have to then find the breeder that breeds for those traits. Cause like I said, not everyone has the same goal, you know? So you have to find somebody who has, who breeds dogs that are going to suit your needs or fit your needs and fit your farm and, and things like that. And I think that's the biggest challenge because there are so many people breeding now. And, um, for, you know, for me, when people are calling or I'm in, you know, social media groups and people are looking, I say, Mm -hmm. find a long-term breeder, a preservation breeder, somebody who has, you know, at least a decade in that breed that knows their dogs, that knows what they produce, talk to their puppy owners, make sure, you know, their puppies that go off to other places, you know, fit your need or your Mm -hmm. want for your farm. Um, because these are not dogs for everybody. They are not easily manageable dogs. They just aren't. And, um, you know, and you can, and I'm not trying to deter people from buying from a newer breeder, but if you're going to buy from a newer breeder, buy one that has a mentor, you know, and also has the same goals in their dogs as you want in your dogs. And, you know, there's a, a lot of breeders out there, so you can find the breeder that fits your needs, but you do need to do a lot of research about that yeah. and mm-hmm. ask a lot of questions, um, you know, and check out other people that own their dogs. Uh, we see a lot of times the dogs hit eight months old and they're dumped in shelters or, you know, people are giving them away mm-hmm. because they haven't put the time into training them. They haven't, they have no breeder support, nobody to reach out to when the dogs, you know, go through their dominant phases or their resource guarding and things like that, that tend to scare people. I mean, you've got a 150 pound dog that is going to resource guard. I mean, it's a necessary trait for them to do their job and it's, and you, you know, you can't breed that out. You have to work around that. Yeah. And I think resource guarding is the biggest problem in the breed. Um, and in all livestock guardian dog breeds, you know, and um, it's probably what you get the most um, com- uh, complaints, I guess I would call right, them about right. like or concerns, you know, concerns, you have a 150 yeah. pound dog growling at you because right. <laughs> you're in its space or, you know, it's, it's possessive over its food. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's scary. I mean, social media is a scary place to be when you're reaching out for help instead of going to the person that bred that line and knows that line and you're reaching out to strangers and, you know, I see a lot of advice on there that is scary. People saying, you know, grab the dog, pin it to the ground, alpha roll it. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Like, I, do, you you know? want, do you want so, to get plastic surgery? Today? Right, right, right. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like you don't want to use fear tactics or, um, you know, punitive training methods, alpha rolling, any of that stuff with an Anatolian or you will yeah. see a trait that they are very, very well known for, so, which essentially, is essentially, yeah. if you see a breeder that's recommending you do that, run in the other direction. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, they, <laughs> the Anatolians are known for uh, meeting aggression with greater or equal aggression. So, you know, if you want to see that trait, go ahead and, you know, get into a war with your dog over you know, resource guarding. And that can be, you know, scary advice. I mean, you have a dog that doesn't respect you, that's growling at you. And, you know, somebody's telling you, Hey, go grab it by the collar and, you know, pin it to the ground. And it's a 150 pound dog. I mean, you might win that battle when it's three or four months old, but you aren't (laughs) going to win that battle when it's two years old. We think about how much when you're buying a new buck, for example, how much research we do and how much time we spend on advocate genetics and trying to figure out uh, what what do we want for our herd and what's the next step that we need to take in order to like achieve that and yet we have a 
just so many people that want to look to Craigslist and find the cheapest possible dog that they can. So why do we want a four or $500 dog? That's just, Oh, I got it off Craigslist and Hey, it's a Pyrenees. So it's going to do, you know, it's going to do its thing. Um, when we want it to guard 30,000 plus dollars in livestock, I mean, you definitely get what you pay for and finding somebody who knows their line and who has, taken so much attention to detail into breeding that next generation and making sure that they really know their dog inside and out and they know the traits and they've temperament tested the litter and they know exactly what they're giving you provided you obviously foster in a good environment those those traits in that dog in order to make them you know a a good acceptable working guardian um but you know but you you definitely get what you pay for and you know just going to the cheapest person or just assuming that oh well because it's a livestock guardian breed it's obviously going to do you know what it's intended well i could buy like a 200 hundred dollar la mancha you know as my next breeding buck off of craigslist but is it going to do what i want it to is it going to get me where i need need to be um not necessarily and the same thing goes for you know for anything really but you know for your for your livestock guardian you want a dog that you know um you know those traits and they've been tested and they're tried and they're true that those parents worked with goats um yeah that's the other thing about the puppies i mean you definitely want to be purchasing your puppies from uh people who have proving working parents and their dogs i mean you you want to be getting puppies from farms that are raising the puppies with the goats. They don't necessarily have to be born out with the goats. I mean, that's a pretty much, you know, a very old school way of thought where people think, you know, in order to have that good working ability, they need to be born outside in the barn in a dirt hole somewhere. Uh, And that's not true either. If you're taking two good working parents that display good working behaviors, then those puppies can be born inside in a whelping box where you can monitor them and make sure they're not you know, getting squashed by the mother or the goats or, you know, ultimately when you breed a litter, you want all your puppies to survive. So you need to throw out that old school thought of they need to be born outside to do the job. Our puppies are born inside. They're in my bedroom. They stay there till they're four weeks old. And then we slowly integrate them with the goats. Um, And, you know, they are no worse for the wear when they get out there. I mean, those, those uh, inherited genetics. I'm just laughing because I remember, so this litter um, that we are currently working with is out of my, by my female and out of um, some very old semen, right? At this point. Yeah. It's from an outside male. Yeah. An and, um, so an import male, but I remember uh, you picked Amara up about a week before she whelped. And that first night you, uh, you know, we're setting up the whelping box and you're like, she won't get off my bed. And I'm like, she's inside and I'm getting pictures of her sprawled out on your bed, <laughs> like with her belly up in the air, you know, just thinking like, wow, this is so great. Like I've never had a memory full mattress before. Right. right. Well, I think if you <laughs> have her to be sweet is luxury for her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she yeah. was just soaking it up, um, yeah. you know, but then the puppies were what, two weeks old and. You brought him outside and four weeks, four, four weeks, weeks old. Yeah. yeah. And Amara went right back to doing what she does best. Right. I and think if you have the good foundation of having really good working genetics, um, no amount of social socialization is going to erase those working genetics. They're always going to be there. So I tell people that get puppies from me, socialize, 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 take them, you know, 
to the grain store, take them to the vet. The, you know, these will be 150 pound dogs. They do need to be manageable. They do not have to know how to walk on a leash. They have to know how to behave around people. Um, a lot of our dogs have off territory shutdown, so they will go to the vet. They're great. They're happy. They wag their tail. They allow, you know, strangers to touch them. If you were to come onto my property, you would see a completely different dog because they are in with their goats. They're there to protect. Um, they would never let you in if I wasn't standing there and saying, oh, look, you know, Ashley's here, let her in, you know? Um, and that's how we want our dogs. We want them to have that discernment. We want them to be able to go in public and not be a menace, right? We don't want loose cannons. That's not our goal. We don't want dogs that are, I mean, we want them to have the aggression and the, and the traits that make them a livestock guardian dog, but we, we don't want a bad reputation. We don't want this loose cannon, 150 pound dog that's gonna maul all the neighbors should it get off our property. I mean, <laughs> that's just not our goal. So, you know, we have to, temperament is huge for us. And, you know, you need to socialize these dogs. You need to handle these dogs. You need to form, you're their shepherd. You need to form a bond with them. Um, and make, you know get them to respect you and you get them to respect you by spending a lot of time with them a lot of love reward 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 i mean you don't want to see the side of an anatolian that doesn't want to back down from a fight because that trait is in there as well so you know you don't want to create you know a, a war with your dog over a power struggle because you will lose over and over again so if you earn their respect they are the greatest dog on the planet but you do have to spend time with them you can't just say you know yeah i got an anatolian and, like, and throw toss them out with the goats and yeah. like well yeah and then you, you know go. call me when they're a year old and say i can't get alicia collar i can't touch it i can't load it i can't clip its nails yep because you didn't put the time in i mean in that respect they're like any other animal you have to put the time in but you know they're not a no matter how much you socialize they're not a dog park dog you know, you shouldn't be taking them to a dog park as they reach maturity. They are a dog that likes order. They are a dog that wants to be respected. And if you're at a dog park with a bunch of unknown dogs and unknown <laughs> temperaments, if they get challenged, they will respond. So in that aspect, they don't like, you know, a bunch of wild dogs running around because they feel like they can't control that situation. And then, you know, ultimately you end up with a dog fight. So they're not that type of dog, um, but I do recommend recommend heavily socializing them as puppies. I promise it doesn't ruin them. It doesn't diminish their working ability. It just makes them a better, you know, yeah, well-rounded well dog. Yeah, well-minded. Better discernment. Dog. Yep. Yeah. So do buy your puppies from people who have livestock. They The dogs must work. The parents must work. If you think about when this breed originated in Turkey, they did heavy culling. Any dog that didn't work was heavily culled. And by that, I mean, they were, the owners did away with the dog or the predators did away with the dog. I, we, of course, I don't advocate that here. Soft culling, yes, the puppy doesn't work. The dog doesn't work. It's too people friendly. It's, you know, too excitable. It's too bouncy, which you find a lot in the show lines because they're breeding for a more outgoing, happy, excitable dog. I mean, then those dogs ultimately go to pet homes where they're indoor, outdoor dogs. Uh, so we do do, you know, soft calling in that way. I mean, you do want your dogs to work. No, that makes a lot of sense. And we've kind of talked about the dogs, the owners and their relationship. But a lot of times when we see somebody who starts getting a livestock guardian dog, they haven't had them before. They're getting them because they're a predator. Their goats hadn't or haven't been exposed to mm -hmm. livestock guardian dogs in the past. So 
what is the introduction process or how do you handle goats who see this dog and freak? I can handle that because <laughs> I've dealt with that. I've brought home a lot of puppies. Um, you have, I mean, you raise them with, with your goats. So, you know, um, Heidi, like when she's raising the litters, will put in, it's super important when you're training your livestock guardian um, to use the correct goats um, and to not do, like to not give the dog harsh punishment, but rather allow the, the animal to, mm -hmm. to correct the dog. Um, so for me, I have, uh, and for Heidi, um, we have, you know, our certain goats in the herd that will give a firm enough correction to a, to a new puppy that's learning, um, but is not going to overcorrect the dog because we don't want to break the dog down and we don't want to make them hate being around the goats because you have a goat that's constantly chasing after them and headbutting them and seeking them out to, to be aggressive towards the dog. You want to foster an environment where that dog is learning that the goats are its family um, and that it enjoys being with the goats. Um, so finding, you know, the, the right goats in your herd that are just uh, forward enough with the dogs that they're going to not tolerate rough housing and play, like biting your goat's ears. Not that I have a problem with biting ears because my goats don't have ears. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you biting cut them all off, right? Because, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because um, the puppies, you know, there's a misconception that like livestock guardians don't have um, that they're just su super lazy. Right. right and right. that they, that they, they come, they basically come out of the womb that way. Um, but in reality, you know, livestock guardians do have a play drive, especially when they're puppies. They're just like any other puppy. They want to play, they want to have fun. They want to horse around. Um, they do not have a prey drive, but they have a play drive. So they want to play and they want to get their energy out. So finding a goat that is going to correct poor behavior, you know, oh, I'm going to play with you by biting, you know, biting your legs or whatever. Because when we have dogs that are together, you know, like raising litter, you know, litters, for example, if they're biting and they're roughhousing each other, and then one of them gets a little too rough, what is the other puppy going to do? They're going to yelp. They're going to growl. They're going to snap back. Um, and goats don't have a way of growling and barking and you know, using the same language. So they're going to use it by headbutting or charging. Um, so having a goat that is going to appropriately uh, correct, you know, poor behavior or too, you know, too much of a rough um, behavior. Uh, but also, like you were asking, um, there are some goats that just really hate dogs. Uh, do you want to talk about kind of how you introduce them and slowly get a goat used to yeah, a dog. Yeah, so I'll take goats that, so I'll assess, I'll bring a puppy in on a long line or a long rope and assess the goat's behavior with the dog. Like Ashley said, you don't want a goat that seeks out a puppy and headbutts it into the fence for no reason because then the puppy doesn't trust the stock and doesn't want to lay with the stock and bond with the stock. And that's important. That's all important foundation for um, you know fostering proper behavior. So I'll look for the goats that maybe tilt their head towards a puppy, but don't necessarily headbutt it or um, might rear up on their hind legs. And then, you know, you what you want is an appropriate response from the puppy as well, which is to move away, lay down, you know, roll over. So show some type of submission towards the goats. So I'll watch that interaction and I'll pick a few goats that have proper interaction with the puppy and those goats will go into a separate pasture and bond with that puppy. And then I may bring the puppy in with the other goats on a long line during the day and 
you know, foster good, positive right. interactions with the goats that are afraid. Because what you don't want to do is put a dog in with a bunch of goats that are going to run every time they see the puppy, because then the puppy's going to run and then the puppy's going to be chasing the goats. And because the puppy just wants to be near its goats and they may want to be annoying and lick them and yeah. jump on them and paw them because they are puppies. You will see that. Yeah, I've seen puppies like that. You yeah. know, when I brought, when I brought uh, Kaplan home, for example, uh, who's one of my males um, and he was just like so excited. Yeah. And I had a few goats that just were not having a puppy. You know, they were already used to Amara, but a new puppy, you know, it's a new thing. And I, I don't want any part of it. Why are you in, you know, why are you in my barn? And he was like, Hey, wait for me. And, you know, immediately trying to run after them because he just wants to say hello to them and form a bond. So I had to remove those goats, you know, put them in a, a fence that was adjacent to mm -hmm. where Kaplan was with more appropriate goats that weren't quite as fearful. And then once he realized more appropriate behavior about, okay, I'm going to, you know, stay low to the ground and I'm going to keep my distance and allow the goat to approach me. And then we can be friends. Uh, once he, you know, learned more of that behavior, uh, then the goats were reintroduced. Right. And it is work. It is work in the beginning to get those, you know, the puppy or the dog to mesh with your goats. I mean, you're going to have to put work in. I had a puppy return to me last year um, because the lady had a large breed of show of show goats. And every time she put, she would remove the puppy from the goats, which is not something I recommend. I mean, they need to be near or in with good training goats 24 seven, but she would remove the puppy from the goats at night, put the puppy back with the goats during the day. And every time she would put the puppy back, they would go through the same thing. The puppy would be so excited that it would chase the goats around trying to lick them, lick them, lick them, lick them. And she didn't want that to happen because they were her show goats and she did not want them running and crashing into each other. And she, you know, she had all these images in her head that what was going to happen rather than just, you know, bite the bullet, take a couple of goats that aren't so reactive to your dog, put them in with your dog and let them start to bond. And once, you know, a couple of goats trust the dog, generally the rest of the herd follows. And my goats, are so dependent on the dog. Um, if my dogs stand up and start barking and alerting that there's something around that shouldn't be. Oh, run behind them. Yeah, <laughs> immediately the whole herd of goats goes behind the dog. And if the dog moves left, the herd stays behind it. If the dog moves right, the herd stays behind it. I mean, they get to the point where they are very bonded and dependent on those dogs, but it is work. I mean, you just can't take the puppy and throw it out there and expect you know, the goats are going to behave properly and the puppy's going to behave properly. So yeah. it's got, definitely got to be fostered, definitely got to work on it. And I've even recommended to people on big ranches, go find a couple of nanny goats that have been around dogs that are good with the dogs because it's, you know, your duty when you take one of these dogs in to be there to foster that proper growth. And, you know, and if you don't have it with your goats, go find a couple that, do. Do, yeah. you know, do, and it'll, you know, save you a lot of training and eventually you can integrate them all together but it is it is some some work perfect yeah uh it seems like it's it's quite a process um now talking about introducing uh your animals to goats uh what about introducing your animal to the property what kind of fencing and what's the ideal acreage for them and what can you get by as far as acreage goes for these livestock guardian dogs so it's really not, you can't really put a number on it. Um, I think every dog and is going to be a little bit different. Also, depending on how much space and land you have um, will depend on, you know, will dictate how many dogs that you need, um, for example, or maybe what breed that you're going to choose. Predator um, load. Yeah, your predator load. If you have a lot of, um, you know, 
apex predators, which are your wolves, your mountain lions, your humans, even, um, then naturally you're going to, you're going to have a, those animals either work in packs or are just so big and, and so uh, like aggressive that you're going to need more dogs, um, in order to, you know, combat, um, your, the types of predators that you have. Um, so it's not so much about land. I mean, I remember when we first moved to Maryland, um, and I, you know, I knew that we were close to the city and I kept hearing about goats being stolen, which was a, a huge issue um, in our area. So I made the decision, okay, we only have three quarters of an acre and we're micro farming right now, but I want an Anatolian. I want to, you know, I want something that's going to be in with my goats that if someone comes on the property, they're going to go, mm, maybe I don't want to steal these goats. Um, and so Amara was exactly that. So we, you know, put our five foot fencing up um, with a hot wire on the top. And that was around the whole, you know, three quarters of an acre. And that's where she spent her first year. Um, and so it's not so much about the amount of uh, space that you have, but more so, uh, your needs as far as predator load. And then I think most importantly is your fencing. I mean, it's not so much the, the amount of space it's, you know, how well contained are your dogs and, and your goats, um, and what can get in, Right. But um, you do need fencing. You need yeah. secure fencing. This is not a breed you want roaming. They are a breed that will expand their territory if they're allowed to. So if you don't have fencing on your property and your neighbor, you know, has animals, they will go over there and check up on those animals and things as well. And um, so we always say four foot with a couple strands of hot wire, five foot with a strand of hot wire. Um, if you have a digger, hot wire around the bottom. Um, you know, you do want to contain them. Like I said, they are a big breed of dog and they are territorial. So you do want to, you know, make sure you do have yeah. proper fencing. If you do have multiple pastures. So like for us, um, we have enough dogs now where, uh, we work them in teams, um, and we rotate the pasture. So, um, Kaplan and Lozen will go out with the cows and the pigs one day. And then, uh, we may put Amara out there and switch you know, Kaplan and Lowe's into the goats um, the next day since we rotate our pastures. When your pastures are connected, but you want your dogs to be able to roam all of the pastures and uh, the property, then jump fences are a really good idea um, yep. so that they can get between pastures without getting, you know, without getting loose or without you necessarily having to move them around all the time. So... Um, yeah, but pretty much fencing is, is your most Yeah, a lot of times we see you know, dogs like my dog roams and he goes, you know, five miles from the farm. Yeah, and or, like, you know, well, we see sad, sad things all the time yeah. where people's Pyrenees ran off and, you know, they find them three days later and they're, and they're on the side of the road, you know, yeah. because they, they just have a wanderlust. They have a tendency to wander and that's, that's part of the nature of the breed. They want to check everything out and, you know, and they have a vast perimeter that they want to create around their flock um and so they just end up going too far um and you know either you know meet and again it. that goes back to purpose you know like right. where they were originally bred you know to cover hundreds and hundreds of acres and now a lot of people are using them on you know micro farms hobby mm -hmm. farms which is fine but i mean again you have to find the breeder that you know breeds for the traits that fit your farm and that's yeah. the biggest challenge is is really finding that like i have dogs that would work 500 acres, no problem. I mean, they have that much drive and work ethic that they could easily cover, you know, a 500 acre, you know, sheep operation. And then I have other ones, you know, that tend to be a little bit lazier. 
they're still still have work ethic they still need a job to do but mm-hmm. they would do good on you know two acres on, or right five they acres. just want to, they're just yeah. naturally going to be more apt to stay near the goats um, right and then you know also too thinking about what your lay the layout of your farm is the layout of your land so open pasture um you know you need less livestock guardians because they can see a lot farther so they don't have to travel as far uh to to sniff out you know you know where the fox are you know oh where's that coyote in the woods somewhere they can see their land because it's very flat it's very open um versus if you have you know pastures that are heavily wooded where it's harder to see it's harder to hear because of all the tree coverage you may need more dogs because there it's just more work for them to try to figure out where the predators are um and you know it's harder to to do perimeter runs and whatnot right right no that makes a lot of sense okay so our next question is what are breeders doing wrong or what could they improve when breeding working guardian or sorry working livestock guardian dogs and um so i think uh, oh, so what some breeders are doing wrong is breeding. Right. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. Um, so yeah, every I think everybody's a breeder now nowadays. You know, yeah, they or, got two dogs. In right. The they got a male. They have a female, and they're like, well, might as well stick them together. You know, you know make some more. Uh, and that's that's just that's not what we do. Um, you know, putting a lot of as much. I want to put as much thought into what dogs I'm going to create as what my next generation of goat is going to look like. Um, You know, think about how we agonize over our breeding decisions in the fall for our herd because we want to create the, you know, as best we can, we want to improve that next generation. And, you know, why aren't we doing the same for our dogs? Um, I think we, we owe it to other farms we owe it to other mm-hmm. breeders um, we owe it to, to the breed I we mean, owe it to, to the breed yeah, yeah to to be creating the best animal that we possibly can you know no matter what that is and and for us that's creating a dog with a proper working temperament that is sound that has good discernment um you know that is that is going to do the job that it's intended to and that and so that you're not getting you know just any old dog that you know well my neighbor had you know a litter of Pyrenees Anatolian crosses and you know Pyrenees border collie right or Pyrenees border collie (laughs) and so you know I I need a dog out with my goats so I went and I got one and you know and then and then having you know this nightmare unfold um which is really unfortunate but we see it a lot um I would say you know in my you know almost 30 years with this breed I you know I've been involved in rescue since the beginning because it's my way of giving back to the breed so I do take in a lot of failed guardians um I take a a lot of phone calls every week from people that are just desperate, you know, to train this puppy because they don't have breeder support. So, you know, for me, people on both ends kind of need to step up. I mean, the people buying the dogs need need to do their diligence. They need to find an appropriate breeder, find somebody that's going to mentor them, be there for their dogs. I mean, part of what we do as breeders is we're there for the lifetime of our dogs. If you're, if your circumstance changes, you sell your stock, you get sick, you can no longer take care of your dog. The dog becomes too much to handle. We're there to take our dogs back. I mean, we're not leaving them, you know, hanging out there or, you know, go dump them at a shelter or on sell the dog. I mean, we don't allow any of that because, you know, we bred these dogs, we put them here. Uh, we're responsible for them. And I think a lot of times, uh, 
breeders do not do that. They, they breed don't the dog. What they created. They sell the dog, yeah. and that's the the end of their you know involvement with what they created. And it's really really sad. So from a rescue standpoint, a lot of these dogs I take in, I mean they're not bad dogs. They just didn't have the proper owner, the proper support, and the proper environment. And a lot of them were able to turn around into you know good canine citizens. But I mean I think. Breeders need to think about what they're doing. They need to stand behind their dogs. And even if they're creating mutts, which is not something I, I support, I believe in, you know, predictability of purebred dogs and, you know, having a dog that's fit for purpose. And I don't think that, you know, being an Anatolian breeder that I can uh, make something better that has been bred for thousands of years. I mean, this dog is was originated thousands of years ago. And it's like, I, you know, I just want to foster that and, and maintain that because I'm in this breed for what they, you know, are and what they do for me on my farm. So I think a, a lot of people, they, they breed the Anatolians and the Pyrenees together and they say, oh, you're getting the best of both worlds. Well, genetics don't work that way. And, you know, you could be getting the <laughs> Sorry, worst. Sorry, doodle owners. <laughs> yeah, you could be getting the worst of both worlds. <laughs> and, you know, you may go through five or six, $500 dogs that are tearing your stock apart because they don't have the proper mindset, they don't have the proper breeder, and you don't have the proper support. And eventually people will, you know, figure that out. And, they, and, and, and it's sad because they figure it out at the expense of the dogs. Unfortunately, too, I think a lot of what, what I've seen is, you know, um, yeah, I've been talking with friends in the past and they're like, oh, I, you know, I've had four or five uh, livestock guardians and it, and it just didn't work out for me. Right. And, you know, then kind of asking them, well, where, where did you go to get them? You know, and it's like, oh, just Craigslist or, oh, the neighbor down the mm -hmm. road. Like, you know, your, your idea of like what your livestock guardian should have been, you know, you had this idea in your head of what it was going to do for you. And, and that all just crumbled because you got the wrong dog that wasn't suitable for you. Right. Or they don't um, have the commitment or, or, either. Yeah, I mean, they didn't this have is a breed commitment. that needs, yeah. needs a commitment. I mean, you, this is a dominant dog and, and I'll tell that for everybody who listens, there are breeders out there that will say, my dog doesn't have dog aggression. They don't have human aggression. You know, they can be a good family pet and they, and yes, right. There are, pro there are those dogs that you know, in Anatolians, there are dogs that are that, but mm -hmm. the majority of these dogs are exactly what they're bred for. They are a dominant, aggressive, powerful livestock guardian dog. They, you know, they have we their make own them, opinion. We make them sound so scary, but in reality, I mean, well, but, I just, I feel you know, like it's always I, best to say exactly what they are right. than to try to, <laughs> than to, try to know, sugarcoat it. Yeah, you know? and to mend it later. I mean, they're not a dog for everybody. I mean, you, they, mm -hmm a job they have to have a they have a purpose and it's protecting livestock and yes can they protect their humans in their home yes absolutely um, yeah you know i travel with my dogs like i said i show my dogs they are great for human protection as well however you know you've got to know your dog you got to know your yeah. dog you got to yeah. know the lines you got to know the breeder yeah. and and i make think some breeders yeah some breeders just aren't doing that you know yeah. they don't they're just sticking two dogs together and, right. and expecting the whole litter to be right. To be great and I and tell to everybody be, up front, you know, you know, I, as a preservation breeder, I breed, you know, I honor the history of the breed by breeding an Anatolian that looks and acts like an Anatolian. And, uh, and with that is going to come all these traits that don't make a good family pet. And, <laughs> they, you know, it's not so, always the best house dogs. <laughs> right, right. And I think, you know, like, like I said, I mean, that's part of watching them grow and temperament testing yeah. and trying to place them in correct homes. But a lot of you know, problems people have with my lines are those homes that are, you know, 
pet indoor outdoor well they guard you know part-time and then the other time they're in the house but you know they're chewing the furniture and they're <laughs> knocking stuff over and they you know won't let the mailman in the yard and it's like but you know that's their job you know so it's like yeah know, that's what they're supposed to do right. right and i've had people you know i told ashley in all these years <laughs> that i've been breeding and raising these dogs i went a good 20 years without ever getting one back and then all of a sudden you get into like this new generation and this, everybody's a breeder and everybody's got these micro farms and they all want these dogs. And, and the p- things that people call me to complain about, it's like, well, the dog uh, pinned the neighbor up on top of the golf cart. Okay. <laughs> you know, well, were you out there? Well, no, we weren't home. Okay. Well, then that's the job, the, the dog's job. I'm sorry, but you know, the neighbor is acceptable. If you're standing there saying he's acceptable, if you're not there, your dog's not going to let the neighbor in. It's just how it works. And, um, you know, or, oh, the dog chases off all the crows and the hawks and the vultures. Okay. Again, this is what these dogs do. Or it kills the groundhogs and the groundhogs aren't predators. Okay. But they're invading your dog's (laughs) space. And I'm sorry, Anatolians. The poor squirrels. Yeah. I mean, squirrels, anything like that. That's I Amara's mean, favorite thing to get, I mean, to these get, dogs unfortunately. will, you know, do their job. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and I'd love to say, oh, yes, my dog has so much discernment. It knows that that's, you know, a woodchuck and not a raccoon or whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, the bottom line is they don't. And, you know, so you have to expect those things or, you know, and you know, contain your dog. You know, if you don't want your dog going after the neighbor's dog, then you better have a really good sense because, you know, the chances are it's going to not want your neighbor's dog chasing your goats is pretty high, you know? So um, it's just, you know, making sound decisions all the way around, being committed to the dog. This is a giant breed, but it will live 10, 12, 14 years. So you're looking at a really long commitment to these dogs and they, you know, deserve every bit of that. I tell people all the time, this is you know, a majestic breed that deserves to be treated as such. So, you know. Perfectly said. And I think people that are looking into getting a livestock guardian dog might want to reflect on their setup, their farm itself. Uh, For instance, my farm, I know I do not have enough property, even though I have quite a bit of acreage. I don't have enough property, fenced-in property, to properly care for this dog in order for it to do its job, which is why we moved to a farm dog aspect um, where it's, it's he's a pet, but my wife looked into getting something that came from working lines. So he came right. from parents that did do some herding and, and all that stuff. And he does a great job with going after predators that – I see and and sick him on, but he cannot compete with these LGDs that you see um, out working out in these big farms. Um, yeah, right. I mean, so I think that it takes with- a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, if you had a huge problem with wolves, you know, you might need to rethink whether or not Samson was right for the job, for example. Um, but you know, when you, have, <laughs> like you told me like, Oh, Samson, you know, just chased a fox away. Like 
you know, that's, that's good. I, both of my German shepherds, which are my house dogs, um, you know, they'll chase away the fox right. and the raccoons and the possums, but they're not inside the fencing with the goats, you know, right. spending, spending the day. They're my, they're hanging out in the backyard. If they see something, they're going to chase it. I mean, right. they, they like chasing the barn cats. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have a story on my website about that. I mean, we had a Shih Tzu mix for 14 years. We caught him on the trail cams chasing off the fox all the time, you know, because he, he could slip under the gates and go out where the big dogs couldn't. Um, but I tell people, you know, when you see these posts like, oh, I bought a Mastiff Anatolian cross or I bought a, you know, a Mastiff yeah. to protect my livestock. And I say, yeah. but, you know, it seems so silly to buy a dog that's bred for a different purpose and try to repurpose that breed to be a livestock guardian dog. Because at the end of the day, you know, livestock guardian dogs are built to withstand, you know, weather extremes, predator extremes, mm -hmm. um, you know, their mindset is so much different. Uh, you know, yeah. like people that are using Dobermans to, yeah, they're a right. great farm dog, you know, great Danes. Yes, they're a great farm dog. Yes, they will chase off predators, right? But are they going to engage that predator, right. you know, in the middle of the night without you standing there? And, Probably not. Yeah. You know? And so, too, thinking about the, the mindset of, the, of livestock guardians and how, you know, they're, they are bred and then hopefully the environment that you raise them in fosters them um, really forming a bond. You know, they look at their their flock and their herd as their family. They're, that is what they want to protect. That's what they want to be around. Think about how much our house dogs love being around us and playing fetch with us and spending time with us. And, you know, they want to go on hikes with us and car rides and, you know, us to our house dogs, you know, that's, that's what a livestock guardian views its herd as if you raise them in that environment is that, you know, they want to protect them at all costs. They want to spend their time with them. Um, versus wanting to be in the mm -hmm. house right. with, with you. Right. Yep. Perfect. And Danielle's muted. <laughs> oh, I, have, I have a barking dog here right now, so that's why I'm <laughs> muted. She's, I'm not quite sure what she's up to downstairs. Well, but... she's not barking at a fox. She's probably barking because you haven't let her in the pool yet today. I know. She she hasn't gotten in the pool yet today. She did her chores with me this morning, and then she's been lounging, but she hasn't gotten in the pool yet today, so she's probably very upset about that. But And it is what time? Oh, yeah. That's that's like half the day that she has not been in the Poor pool puppy. yet. Poor puppy. You're really that's slacking. Happy. I know. I know. Uh, she'll be fine. She was in the pool. My cousins came over yesterday, and she was in the pool with them all day, so... She figured out how to get on the giant inflatable sloth and um, float around on that. So that's her new thing. But a true working dog as a yes. Portuguese water dog, she's in the water. So, mm -hmm. But I think this is a great place to kind of wrap up. You guys were so informative and we so appreciate you letting us pick your brains about um, – livestock guardian dogs particularly the anatolians and have given me a lot to think about and now i'm trying to figure out how if, can i make this work and see what i can do in my farm and maybe add one later because i just think that sometimes there's not a lot of information out there about these dogs and jumping in and adding one to your herd is a scary process or prospect so this was definitely yeah, and of course, you know, we probably made it sound scarier than it truly is yeah, once I think you get one. After listening to us, you still want one. Then. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? They're gonna be like, oh man, I'm never getting an LGD. No, but really, it's not. not about that. It's right. it's you know, it's just um, really driving home, just doing your research and your due diligence and making sure that you're, you know, you're putting as much thought into you know an animal that's gonna spend all its time with with your very expensive, very beautiful dairy goats. Um, and wanting wanting that animal to you know to protect them and to be of sound mind um, and also of sound structure you right. know in order to perform the job that it needs to um, it's really not as as scary as you know as no we make and I want to say but... <laughs> too you know anybody that may be listening that has a problem reach out you know I'm always available to help you know people raising these dogs uh, ultimately uh, we want all livestock guardian dogs to be successful. So, um, you know, no matter the breed or not, even though we, you know, kind of sound like purebred snobs here when we're talking <laughs> about purebreds and predictability, um, ultimately, you know, we want, I want them to be successful. So anybody that's having issues or needs help or direction, I'm here. I'm sure Ashley is too. Yep. She's learned quite a bit in the last few years. So Wax people, on, wax off. Yeah, people should reach out. <laughs> <laughs> Having support and somebody, you know, a mentor and somebody to lean on with these dogs is important. So, righty. Well, Ashley Clark and Heidi Kroll, where can we find your guys' farms and more information about your dogs? Um, you can find me on the Facebook uh, Ashley Clement Clark. My name's hyphenated on there, but um, my last name's actually Clement still. I never changed it when I got married. Wow. I know, so naughty. You're living um, a lie. I'm living a lie. I am. Uh, <laughs> and so I have a Facebook page. It's EB Farm Goats. Uh, and then I also have a website that is, for the most part, updated, except for <laughs> the goats that I just bought. But uh, that is evfarmgoats.com. Yeah. And I'm on Facebook too, um, Stone Coat Farm Anatolians. I have a website, stonecoatfarm.com. And my email's on there, my phone number, all that information. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, ladies. This has been a great episode to learn about livestock guardian dogs and specifically Anatolian shepherds. Uh, Danielle, where can people find our socials? Well, you can find us on Facebook by searching Ringside and American Dairy Goat Podcast. On Instagram, we are at ringside underscore goat underscore podcast. And you can also find us on Twitter and TikTok by just searching Ringside and we should pop up. And as always, we do have our website, dairygoatpodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Perfect. Well, this has been another wonderful episode. Thank you, everybody, for joining. This has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. And we'll catch you on the next one. Cannonball! Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.